The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had that help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the firstborn to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you again for your word. I just pray that you will speak to us this morning, um, empower Randall uh, to speak your words, and uh, let our hearts just listen to you and your Holy Spirit's voice. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Grace City. If this is your first time, my name is Randall. I'm the pastor, and uh, it's great to see you this morning. I, I loved hearing uh, how God is working through Joe's life. I've been able to get to know Joe a little bit. We've been uh, doing some Bible study together, and um, you know, the, the reason why we're doing this family on mission uh, portion of our service is to just be reminded that the book of Acts isn't just something that we read, but it's something that comes to life in the life of every Christian, right? That, that the book of Acts isn't over, that God is still writing his story in this world and that God is still doing uh, works through his people and uh, that, that it's happening right now. Um, so we're studying the book of Acts and, and in this last section, we're looking at finishing well. Because we've been looking at the life of Paul and, and we've looked at how he's been, uh, become a Christian and, and now we see this is the end of his life. And so how does Paul finish well? Well, our text today is from Acts 26, verses 15 through 17. And the message is risks worth taking. Risks worth taking. Got to spend a little bit of time this past week in Tijuana with our friend Josiah, who's a, a part of our church family here, and he, he just wanted me to, to tell everyone hello um, and that he's doing okay and um, that God's doing some great things. But he is preparing right now uh, to go to an unreached people group um, in Asia. And so it's amazing to, to, to see what God's doing. We're just going right over the border in Tijuana, uh, Radius International, um, and so they're doing some great 
work in training uh, missionaries that are going out to really the ends of the earth. And as I sat there and listened to some of the, the people and the stories and the backgrounds of where they're coming from, I thought to myself of this word, risk. Like I said, the book of Acts is not over, but there are people that are still to this day saying, I will go to reach people with the message of Jesus. So my question for us this morning is, how are you, how how am I at at taking risks? I want to take a quick poll. Um, Naturally, who are my risk takers? Who are the people who are naturally risk takers? You can raise your hand. You You don't have to be shy. Yes, yes, I see you. Usually risk takers are, they're raising their hands high. They're not doing this. They're like this. Yes, that's me. How many of you are uh, risk averse? Okay, more so. It seems like more of us are risk averse. What I'm talking about this morning is not whether you are more naturally a risk taker or more naturally risk averse. What I'm talking today is are the risks that you're willing to take God-centered risks, kingdom risks, Right, because at all different levels of our lives, we take risks, each one of us, each day. But are the risks that we're willing to take God-centered risks? In today's text, the Apostle Paul is taking a risk. After sharing his story of how he became a Christian, uh, he is uh, asking King Agrippa, if you don't know much about King Agrippa, King Agrippa is a part of the, the, the family lineage of Herods. And we've done studies on, on the Herod lineage, and, and it's not a good one for Christians. See, it was in that lineage of Herod that we find that Jesus, when he was born, was uh, told, Let, let's figure out who the, the children under two are and let's kill them. And so that's from the Herod lineage, right? This is, this is not friendly towards Christians. And so he asked Agrippa in verse 27, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. When he asked this question, was he, when he says this to King Agrippa, he's taking a risk with someone who has brutally persecuted Christians and his family lineage is full of people who brutally persecuted Christians. Paul was risking his life and we see this all through the book of Acts. He was continually putting himself in life or death situations. C.S. Lewis once said, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound, but suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Only a risk, a real risk, tests the reality of a belief. See, what is it that we believe? What is it that Paul believes? See, Paul believed the message of the gospel so much that it would cost him everything. He talks about this in Romans 8, verse 36. He says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But then at the end of uh, Romans 8, he says, neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
See, it was God's love. Paul believed that God's love had touched his heart so deeply that he was willing to risk everything. And so, as we look at the life of Paul, how can we learn to take God-centered risks? Right? Not just naturally taking risks on our own because that's how we're naturally wired or running from risk because that's how we're naturally wired, but saying, God, what are you asking me to do and how can I be obedient to that? Again, our text is from Acts 26, verses 15 through 27, just to give a little context of what's happening here. Um, so Festus has just taken over as um, the governor over this province here. Um, before that was Felix, and so Felix um, is not there anymore. Festus is taking over. He doesn't know what's going on with Paul. He doesn't have much history with Paul, and so he hears that Paul's done a lot of bad things, and, and he's like, okay, well, what do I do with this guy? And so it just happened to be that King Agrippa was coming into town and he said, well, he probably knows about Paul, about some of the Jewish customs. And, and, and so I'm going to ask him what he thinks and I want him to sit in and listen as Paul presents. And so what they've done is they've got Paul in prison and they bring him out and parade him before everyone and make it this pomp and circumstance type of situation where he's standing before King Agrippa and he's standing before Festus and he has to share why he's imprisoned. And this has to be an intimidating situation. So what is it that gave Paul the confidence to take a God-centered risk and, and not back down? Well, we see three traits in today's text that can help us. And so here's what they are from the text. It was by having a proper fear. Number two, immediate obedience. And three, unflinching hope. Proper fear, immediate obedience, unflinching hope. So the first one is proper fear. Look at verses 15 through 18. At this point, Paul has already been sharing his testimony, his story about how God had saved his life. And so in verse 15, it says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, uh, have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now in these verses, Paul again is sharing his conversion story. He repeats it throughout his life. It's the same thing, right? Here's how God radically met me and saved me as I am on my way to go and destroy the church. See, up to this point, Paul was doing things for God in his life. He was doing things for God. See, Paul's name was spreading, and he was becoming well-known as someone who was both zealous for the religious laws and for God, but also for persecuting Christians. But it was this question that we see in his testimony, and he says it over and over and over again, that changed his life and revealed this proper fear and reverence for Jesus. Here's the question. Who are you, Lord? 
Who are you, Lord? See, at this point, Paul was living with an undetected arrogance and pride that opened doors for him with religious leaders and with people. He, he talks about it in Galatians 1.14. He says, I'm advancing in the law. I'm advancing beyond people my own age. Like he was doing well up to this point. But what he didn't realize is it was getting him nowhere with God. He had no respect for the name of Jesus or anyone who carried the name of Jesus. But it was in this question, who are you, Lord, that he's being brought low and shown the reality of his spiritual state. At this point, Paul was lost. And what we see happen to him physically is how he was spiritually. He was blind. He was without hope. When he talks about the spiritual state of man naturally in our natural state in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so when we think about the Apostle Paul here, he's talking about his natural state of where he was. He was naturally dead spiritually. He had no hope. Yet he was doing all of these religious things. And in this question, who are you, Lord? He was being brought into the proper view of Reality. See, this word for Lord is the word kurios. It's defined as to whom a person or things belong, about which he has a power of deciding its master or Lord. Paul had come in contact with the living Christ and is now realizing that he's in the presence of God. And he's realizing that for many years he was living as the master and the Lord of his own life. But now he's met someone who's greater than him, the risen Jesus, and he's brought low. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's twofold. First, it's this. When we live in the fear of the Lord, we are throwing our trust completely into who God is and what he can do. We're saying, I trust you completely with my life. But the second part of that is this, that it's not only saying, I trust you with my life, but it's saying, anything that enters into my life, I believe that you have filtered it through your loving hand and that you've allowed it into my life and that you're still with me. See, living in the fear of the Lord is saying, I trust you completely. Paul is encountering the Holy One, Jesus Christ, firsthand, and given instruction on what his life would look like from this point forward. See, Paul is not leading and directing his life any longer, saying, hey, I'm going this direction or I'm going that direction, but he's saying, Lord, where are you telling me to go now? It's much like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, up to this point, we're going to talk about Isaiah, but I love the, 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 the narrative of Isaiah. Gifted individual comes in contact with the living God, falls on his face and said, Lord, here I am, send me. See, the life of a Christian is saying, 
I'm no longer the leader and Lord of my life any longer. I'm no longer sitting on the throne of my heart anymore, but it is you, God, who's sitting on that throne. Paul has had an encounter that's changed his life. Jesus is now Lord of his life. Next, do you see how Jesus describes Paul? Verse 16, he says, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me. Now, what this should do is should radically shift the way that we think about God. In many ways, if we're honest about how we interact with God, it would be more like a genie or a servant, (laughs) you know, doing our bidding than actually living in proper relationship with God. Right? What happens when our plans don't go the way we want them to go? What happens when things aren't falling into place exactly as we think? God, what are you doing up there? Right, God, how, how, why is this not working out? What happens is we start questioning God. We're not receiving necessarily. We're saying, God, what's, what's going on up there? Have you stopped watching what's going on down here? Because I feel like I know better than, what's, than what you, you see and what you're doing. But the fear of the Lord brings us in proper relationship, saying, no, you're Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm your servant. Lord, help me, guide me, direct me. Right? He says he would be a servant and witness. Uh, commentator Tony Morita says, Paul's Damascus Road story is ultimately a story about Jesus. Not one about Paul. The apostle always took care to keep Jesus the hero of his testimony. Friends, when we think about our relationship with God, when we think about living in the proper fear of the Lord, when people ask you, like, man, what's your story? What, what have you been through? Like, is God any part of that? Or is that just for the Apostle Paul and people like that? I would encourage you as Christians today, it's, it's the reality that it, to live in the proper fear of the Lord is to say, yes, God, it's whatever you, you, you want to do. See, are you living in the proper fear of God? Is he Lord? This is how Paul found the confidence to take risks. Because he believed that Jesus is Lord of Lords. No king or ruler is above Jesus. And so as he is standing before people that could have took his life, right? King Agrippa, Festus, he believed that there was a Lord above any earthly Lord. He wasn't living in the fear of man, but he was living in the fear of the Lord. And there was a freedom that comes from his life because then next we see this immediate obedience. Look at verses 19 through 23. He's telling his story. He's saying, okay, therefore, O King Agrippa, he's calling out King Agrippa, I was not obedient, or I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Now, what's happening here? Well, there was an immediate obedience for Paul, right? We see it right here. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, 
He said, you probably heard about me. You probably heard about what, what happened with me. Uh, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Something happened to me. And I'm responding. Right, so my life was filled with in obedience because uh, of what I saw. See, Paul is not paralyzed by what if. Right, what if. But he's living in what is. Do you know how many of us live in the what if? It's the what if that job doesn't come through. What if that person doesn't like me? What if, what if, what if? And to live in that is to live in the power of me. Right? Because even for some of us who are, are maybe more natural risk takers, it's, well, what if this happens and I, and, I, and I get that new job or I do this new thing or I, whatever it is, it comes through. What if? Paul's living in his, his in living and saying is, what is? What is God asking me to do? What is God asking me to do? Here's what that puts us in the position of knowing that only God knows the future. Only God knows what's ahead. But he's asking me to do something right now. And so how am I obeying right now and trusting right now? I love it. My, my, I got three kids. Uh, my youngest is eight. And she can melt my heart. You know what I mean? Like she just... She just gives me that look, and she's, okay, whatever you want. You know, that type of thing. She helped me this morning. We were setting up. Great little girl. But here's the thing. She's, she loves her iPad time, right? She loves her iPad time. And so um, she'll, she'll come up to me. She says, uh, she's like, Dad, can I play iPad? I said, well, you know what you need to do. To make that happen, right? Like, it's, it's the same thing every week. It's the same chores, like the same thing. But it's almost like it's brand new, right? Like, we're just starting over. We're starting fresh. Like, she, we just started talking about this. And so uh, for her, it's, it's well, what, what if, what if, I, what if I, I did that? Like, what if I clean my room? What if I do my chores? And I look at her and I say, you know what happened. Like, you know. It's not what if. I said, what about this? We've had many conversations about what it looks like to obey mommy and daddy, to do these things. What if you just did it instead of asking all the time? What would happen? You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's, that's the conversations that we're having here. And what we're talking about here is there's an immediate obedience. Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I saw it. I knew it. I followed it, right? And so how was Paul obedient? Well, verse 22 through 23, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by 
being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Here's the thing. Paul was able to be obedient because he says in verse 22, he had God's strength. He had God's strength. God was empowering. He says, the hell that comes from God. Here's the thing. When we think about our obedience to God, it's empowered by God. And when you look back and you say, man, I didn't know how I made it through that valley. I didn't know how I got here from there. Like to, to look at your life and to say, you know what? It wasn't me, but God was there with me that whole time. He gave me the grace. He gave me the strength. He gave me the power. And what happened? Verse 23, he says that Jesus was his message. That Christ must suffer. His life was about Jesus. Right? He kept coming back to that again and again and again. And so there was an immediate obedience from Paul, but lastly, there was an unflinching hope. Verse 24 through 27. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. I love that. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. See, Paul, in this moment, is unflinching in his hope, right, of what, what, what he believes. He, he's not backing down from leaders like King Agrippa and, and Festus, but he's actually playing off of both of them. Because what we see here is that uh, this living hope that Paul has, right, is something that has transformed him in his life. Uh, 1 Peter 1.3 says this, For God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How was Paul so unflinching in this moment? It's because he said he had a living hope. He's, he's experienced Jesus. Jesus isn't just a figment of his imagination, but it's broke through into his life. See, what does a living hope look like? John Piper wrote this. He says, by removing eternal risk, Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. For the followers of Jesus, the final risk is gone. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you will be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. When the threat of death comes, becomes a door to paradise, the final barrier for temp or to temporal risk is broken. When a Christian says from the heart, to live is Christ, to die is gain, he is free to love no matter what. When God removes all risk above, he loosed a thousand risks of love. See, what is the risk that he's being asked to take here? If it's a God-centered risk, basically, the best thing for Paul he knew is not in this life, but in the next life. Right? You and I look around, we think about how dark 
this world can be. And friends, I'm glad that this world is not our only hope. It's discouraging. But for Paul, he believed that Jesus had removed that final risk, the eternal risk, the lasting, lasting risk. And so he placed his faith and his hope in Christ and it made him an unflinching, confident person that could face the day, that could face whoever was placed in front of him because he had a living hope. But second, there, there's evidence that gives hope. I love it. Verse 24, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. <laughs> Most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. True and rational words. This wasn't fantasy, but this was built on an evidence. There's evidence that gave him hope. See, Paul was confident that his faith was built on evidence because he tells, this is where he goes, to King Agrippa, who King Agrippa knew what was happening in Jerusalem. He knew the history of the prophets. He knew everything that had happened with Jesus being born, the death of Jesus, all of these things. He knew it. And he looks at King Agrippa and he says, you know what? I know that you know that all of these things have happened. And what does he say? He says, this has, not this has not been done in a corner. People were discussing. People had to make a decision. Friends, you and me have to make a decision. Is this historical? Did this really happen in real life? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes, we are told that Christ was killed for us, that his death was washed out our sins, and by dying, he disabled death itself. That is the formula. And what he says is this, myth, what people thought could have been just an imagination type of thing, became fact. He says the old myth of the dying God without ceasing to be myth comes down from the heaven of legend and imagination to the earth of history. He says it happens at a particular date in a particular place, followed by definable historical consequences. We pass from a boulder, right? This historic like uh, legend um, of, a, of a God dying, Osiris dying. Nobody knows when or where to a histor historical person crucified. It is all in order under Pontius Pilate. Right there, there was within legend and history beliefs that gods would die and come back and all these types of things. You say, oh, yeah, but we see it in Marvel movies all the time. Right? I can't believe it. What? Endgame. Oh, my goodness. This happened. I've got chills. Like, come on. At the end of the day, friends, are we resting in and putting our hope in a historical Jesus? That's greater than any fictional story that we can put our, our hope in. It happened. Paul believed it. So just some takeaways. Three questions to ask yourself when weighing risk because each and every one of us is gonna take a risk. Right, each and every one of us. 
And whether they be big or small, friends, I know that they come. I, I, I remember the day when I knew I was at a crossroads and my wife was not my wife yet and she wasn't my girlfriend yet and some guy was over there talking to her and I'm like, you know what, this is it. This is it. <laughs> Gotta take the risk. And you know what I did? I said, God, if this is the risk I need to take, make it happen. Make it happen. I'll tell you, God does miracles. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, I know. You and I, we got to take different types of risks at different levels in our life because we don't know. Are they going to be God-centered risks? Am I trust him? First question, am I living more in the fear of God or the fear of man? <clears throat> am I living more in the fear of God or the fear of man? Friends, it's easy to get trapped in the fear of man. I, I've done it before. I had to memorize Galatians uh, 1.10, you know, where it just talks about it. It's, it. it's like Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ Jesus, my Lord. It, it, if I were still living for the expectations of people, I would not be the servant of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so, you know, like you and I have to face different things in life, but are you trapped in what others think about you? Does it guide your decisions? Maybe a parent, a relative, a friend, uh, someone you're dating, a boss, whatever it might be. Are people's opinions what guide your life? You gotta be real about this and you gotta drill down to the surface and say, what is it that's in there? Because Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Right, the thing that seems the scariest, to trust God with our lives. To say, you heard people say before, don't, don't pray that prayer because then he's actually gonna do it. <laughs> you know, don't pray that prayer about trusting God because then he's actually, something crazy is gonna happen in your life. You know, but it's actually the safest place to be. To be in his will, to be in his, for God to be in your life. So am I living more in the fear of God or the fear of man? Second, how am I obeying God and trusting God with the results? Let me ask, has God put something in your heart and you just can't shake it? Right, some of you, you're going through something right now and you say to yourself, if I don't do this, I would be in direct disobedience. Like, as a believer, right? You're like, okay, I just can't shake it. It just keeps coming up again and again. And I'm not talking about a, a me-focused, hey, I'm gonna go do this thing and God bless my plans. No, I'm talking about God is calling you to do something that is not naturally what you would have done. Friends, I, I was not naturally somebody who would have been a church planter. That's what God called us to do. And I, I tell people that all the time because I would have not chosen it. But you just ask, like, what does obedience look like? Because some of us may have grown numb to God's voice and we're just not sensitive enough to hear him. See, again, maybe, it's, maybe it is a job. Maybe it's a moral conviction, a decision, a dating relationship, a conversation you need to have. But the question is, will you obey him and trust him with the results? Will you obey him and trust him with the results? 
As Guinness, I love this. He says, God's work must always be done in God's way to see results that are worthy of God's reality and greatness. Results that are worthy of God's reality and greatness. God is real. God, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that he has the power to be there to catch you and that he is great? Lastly, who can you tell about the hope that you have? Right, we, um, we're looking at this and we're seeing that the Apostle Paul is having this conversation with King Agrippa, right? And it's like, it's a, it's a pretty intense conversation, a pretty real one. Recently, I had a friend call me. I haven't seen this friend for years. I grew up with him. We were in the same neighborhood. We'd play basketball all the time. It was funny. He just kind of called me up out of the blue. He got my number from my brother and said, I, I just need to talk to Randall. And uh, he, he calls me up, and we're having this conversation, and he's like, um, dude, I need to know what happened to you after the last day of senior year graduation. He said, we bro-hugged and went our separate ways. That's what he said to me. I said, um, there's a lot that's happened. And so we're just talking about our life, our story. You know, I, I knew him when I was nine, ten years old. Now I'm on the edge of 40. And it's like, there's a lot that's happened. And he said, how did, you, how did this whole Jesus thing happen in your life? And so we're like sitting on the phone. And I'm just telling him, I said, man, I, I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for the grace of God is what God's done in my life. Like you knew me. You knew me. And there are people in your life that might sprout up, that God just brings into your life again that you weren't expecting. And remember what Agrippa says to Paul. He says this actually in verse 28 later. He says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Basically, he's saying, uh, yeah, you're not gonna get through in the amount of time that you uh, think you are about convincing me that this is true. You know what? It's not gonna be through just one phone call with a friend that it's gonna be like, oh, yeah, Here's what Paul says. He says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. He's saying, I pray to God. Who am I praying to God for? That God would meet a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend from my past, my distant past. I pray that God, today, you may become what I am. That's what we need to be praying to. See, here's the thing. Festus, he would only rule for two years and he would die in office. He had two years. He didn't realize it. He's sitting there listening to the Apostle Paul who we're reading about today. He had two years left of his life. He didn't know. Who is it? 
Who can we tell about the hope that we have? Here's the message of the gospel today that will help us to take risks that are worth taking. It's when we understand this and we believe this, when we understand that the risk that God is asking us to take will never be greater than the risk he took through his own son, Jesus Christ. You know that's the gospel? Friends, that's the gospel. That Jesus says, I will go further than you'll ever go. And I will die. A death that you could have never withstood. The judgment and the thing that I deserved. He said, I'll take it for you. And I'll wash you clean. And I'll give you something you don't deserve. Friends, that's the greatest thing that I can encourage you with today. Is if you don't know him, come to him. If you know him, trust him that he's able to catch you and he's able to walk you through any valley that you're going through because that's the hope that we have as believers. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that ultimately you looked at the risk of coming to this earth, living a perfect life and dying in our place and raising from the dead as a risk worth taking. That is the message of the gospel that Jesus, you died for sinful people who would reject you, who would turn their backs on you, who would look and say, you think I believe that? And you meet us on that road, just like you met Paul on that road to Damascus, as we're going to go destroy our lives. You intercede with your son, Jesus. And so I pray that uh, with all of us here today, anyone that is hearing these words, Lord, we will respond, we'll be obedient, we'll trust you, and we'll know that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.